Discrimination against Asian Americans is on the rise in New York City. And he just walked to me and uh, punched me twice. And say, you know, like, oh, I'm here to, like, f up Asian. It's our home as well. So uh, we need to be uh, respected. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our reporter every week. Right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome to the Debrief podcast. I'm your host, Paisy Cheng. I'm in for David Ushery. It really seems like not a day goes by without hearing about a violent attack on Asian Americans. Took a metal pipe and then hit her in the face. A man violently shoved a 52-year-old Asian-American woman outside of a bakery. Bloody attack by a violent stranger. People punched, kicked, spit on, and even urinated on, ambushed or robbed. And then... Atlanta. David said still developing tonight, but right now police tell us the gunman is suspected of targeting three separate locations, killing a total of eight people. And while eight the people killer killed, six of them Asian women gunned down where they worked. The motive, according to authorities, still unclear. The NYPD says here in the city there have been 22 anti-Asian attacks so far this year. Last year at this time, there were none. And that's just the attacks that were reported, the ones that got physical. Picture, you stupid. Okay. Okay. Oh. okay. Asian Americans like me, like my family and friends, were facing other aggressions as well. Horrible comments, getting cussed out by people yelling racial slurs or using offensive stereotypes, telling us to go back to China, even if some people are Korean or Japanese, you know, they don't, there's no discriminating. Bias and hatred, they all take different forms. Today, we're taking a hard look at the physical aggressions and the microaggressions that are plaguing the Asian American community. Never have I felt fearful for my life as I have felt during this pandemic. Starting off this conversation, we're going to turn to a third-generation Chinese-American who has lived in Chinatown for most of her life. She is also the chief of staff to council member Margaret Chin. Uh, let's welcome Gigi Lee to the debrief. Hi, Gigi. Thanks for having me. So, Gigi, you grew up in New York City your entire life. Growing up, did you face a lot of, you know, racist incidents? You know, I think that Every so often, there were always comments here, remarks there, but it has never been to the level of today where I feel like I have to think about the safety of myself and my baby just walking down the street. How old is your baby? She's five months old. Ah. That's so cute. I grew up in New York as well. I didn't grow up in the city. I was in the suburbs, but I visited the city a lot and I went to Chinese school on the weekends there. Me um, too. I went to Chinese school as well. If we're around the same age, we might've been in the same class, <laughs> but we won't reveal that here on this podcast. I, you know, I, I remember there were definitely instances of racism and, um, you know, being called names, names that are being used right now in those attacks. But I just don't feel like I ever feared for my safety. But you're saying that right now you are fearful for your own safety. It's something that I think about 
certainly in a way that it's much more conscious than in the past, but I certainly um, fear for the safety of my in-laws. So it is definitely on the forefront of my mind a lot more than it has been before. And that can't feel good. No, no. It's a very different feeling and it doesn't, it, it makes you not feel safe in your own neighborhood. So when, at what point do you think it got this bad? Was it the start of the pandemic? Yes. I think many, many Asian Americans foresaw this when there was the very divisive and racist rhetoric that our former president was using and that this would be, this would bubble up as COVID, you know, moved along. I think a part of, a part of me, I mean, you know, being Asian American, I thought to myself, okay, yeah, that's happening, but it can't happen in New York, not New York City, right? Are you completely shocked about what is going on right now? I am shocked, but I think that it's to the level that it has happened, right? And I think that there are so many factors that have led to this moment. So I think many, you know, as I've talked to many of my friends and many of my allies, it's not so much that it's happening. It's just to the extent that it's happening. And yourself, you know, what sort of comments have you heard? Have you noticed, you know, a change in the way people talk to you? Have people been calling you names more? People feel more brazen about it. I was driving around the other day and just stopped at a red light and uh, someone just, you know, slammed their their fist on the the hood of the car and said, <gasps> you know, you clearly don't know how to drive. You should go back to where you came from, right? Like even just as a very normal, you know, day to day activity. And that was just like sh- like being shouted at while I'm in a car, just just stopped at a red light. How jarring! How jarring! That must have been awful. Uh, yeah, and the baby's in the car, right? And I'm in the car by myself. You know, no one else is there. And you don't know if that's going to escalate. You don't know uh, what's going to happen. So I think it's things like that, that that make you be very on edge all the time. So you are actually changing the way you live. I mean, you said you're a lot more aware. You're not relaxed when you're walking down the street. Um, you also said something about your your dog, right? You walk your dog at night usually? I usually walk my dog at night. Several years ago, my husband was attacked with a box cutter not far from, you know, the courthouse and, and Columbus Park where, uh, you know, the other um, incident happened not too long ago. <clears throat> you know, he there was some racist language used and unfortunately the perpetrator fled on, on subway, you know, via the subway afterwards and he was never found. And my husband had to get several stitches. But after that, you know, he was... It was, you know, he said, I don't, I don't want you walking the dog, you know, late at night by yourself anymore. So there have definitely been some lifestyle changes. So several years ago, your husband was attacked by somebody who used racist language. Yes. And um, the motive was just the attack. It was not a robbery. Correct. He had his crazy everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day who's Asian. She was at the train station and she went to get her coffee. She was waiting for the train. It's a commuter rail. She was just like walking along the sidewalk to the coffee shop. And there was an older man, I mean, like probably elderly, very far away from her, who very rudely like cursed at her for being too close to him. (laughs) 
And this isn't a place that she's lived her whole life. And it was something she's never experienced before. So I'm wondering if, you know, more people are experiencing this sort of rude treatment and also what to do about that, because the police say you should report everything. But as you know, they can't really do anything with information that doesn't lead them to charges and a crime. What do you recommend? I certainly think that it should be easier. And I think that all incidences, if possible, should be reported because um, this is a city that runs on statistics. And without statistics of incidences being reported, it again um, makes it seem like it's not happening. Right. I certainly try not to take the subway by myself anymore. I always try to have um, I always try to, to take the subway with someone. And how sad is that, Gigi? I mean, you're a New York City kid. You grew up riding the subway. And now you're afraid to sit on the subway by yourself. Yeah, I'm afraid to sit on the subway. I'm afraid to, like, you know, fall asleep. Like, if I'm tired, which I, you know, always used to do when I was, you know, going and commuting. Um, you know, I went to Columbia for grad school. I, I, I made that commute, you know, three or four days a week. And I used to fall asleep on the subway all the time. And I certainly am not comfortable doing that anymore. But I think part of it is that that for culturally and historically, a lot of um, a lot of kids growing up, including myself, we never had the language or we were we were never um, had these conversations around the dinner table in an open and honest way about um, our history and our experiences and what and what our, our grandparents experienced, it, it wasn't until much, much later in life when my grandparents shared with me when they first came to the United States in the late 60s and early 70s, Right. you know, that he would have to go to work. Um, he ran a laundry on Bayard Street in a basement, right? And he he said, you know, when I first got here, we had to, I had to be in the basement cleaning clothes before sunrise and I wouldn't be able to leave until until it was dark because I would get uh, stones thrown at me for stealing you know other people's jobs right and so that was sort of the first time as an adult that I heard about my own grandfather's experience experiences here in New York City's Chinatown. And what did that do for you? I mean, when you heard what he experienced? It really made it real, right? I think a lot of times and, and a lot of what's going on right now is an other um, an otherness of, well, if it doesn't impact me and if it doesn't impact my family, I'm just going to keep my head down and everything might be okay and this too shall pass. But I think we're coming to a moment where where that's changing, where Asian Americans are recognizing that we have to come together with our allies and really use our voice and and demand that there be changes made and that there is recognition of our contributions and our struggles and the racism and the bias that we face. And that, that has to start in everyone's living room and in everyone's kitchen and to make sure that our kids have that language and know how to have those conversations with their friends and and that when they experience microaggression in um, or just overt racism in their everyday lives, that they have the tools and language to really address it. Here's a, here's a question that I get a lot, right? People are asking me, am I okay? How am I doing? What can they do for me? 
what can they do for me? <laughs> what can they do to help this Yeah, cause? so I think that um, that first, there is something that I am in support of is um, making sure there are more um, ethnic studies in our schools, right? I think that it is important that we have these conversations, again, just with the younger generation and at a younger age, not because I think that we're at a point in this world that is horrible. It's certainly we're at a moment that's very scary. Anti-Asian sentiment is not new and it's certainly not going to go away, right? And so I think that looking back, you know, maybe I would have handled things differently had I been more equipped with language and had the confidence to have these conversations earlier in my life with friends. So I think that um, it's important for us to have these conversations because I think these are very traumatic experiences, right? And if we keep internalizing them, it becomes it becomes very harmful. And we don't want to like always live in in this state of fear, right? At all possible. So I think it's um, finding outlets and people that um, that are able to. Um, you know, bring you some comfort in either sharing your experience or teaching us um, and for us to learn skills about um, how to process these feelings, how to cope with these feelings, and then kind of how how we turn it into power, I think is is the conversation that so many of us are trying to, to figure out, right? Um, and so it is, I think, um, supporting um, our community, supporting groups that have been doing this kind of work right. in in our Pan-Asian communities. It's thinking about what allyship looks like, right? While um, right. while we see this rise in in anti-Asian sentiments, you know, history has shown us that this has happened to so many different, um, you know, religious groups. Um, you know, ethnic groups over time, right? So there is certainly a power in the shared experience with our with our allies as well. And I think that that's just a, a start of a conversation. My hope is that um, is that these conversations continue, they continue mm-hmm. to be on the forefront of our minds that we start to recognize them in our everyday life. And that we become increasingly comfortable addressing them in a way with others that comes from a place that is non-threatening um, and that really changes, you know, each person um, a little bit at a time. Because this is going to take this is going to take time. Yes, definitely a continuing conversation, and we hope that you will be part of it, Gigi. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. From the microaggressions of daily life in the Asian American community to the physical assaults, we now turn to a woman who was punched twice in front of her seven-year-old daughter as she was leaving a rally that was uh, protesting the Asian American hate that we've seen lately. Her name is Katie Ho. Katie, can you bring us back to that day. Okay. Um, on Sunday, last Sunday, um, I and my daughter went to the protest. Uh, we left early because uh, my young daughter got tired. And then we walk to the subway station. And then we met this guy. He was asking for our sign. And 
saying, can I have the sign? He asked and you for the sign that you were holding. What did the sign say? Racist equals uh, psychopath. It was very close. Um, the protest is still going on. And there were there were um, different races of people attending the, the protest. So I thought right. I use it. So I said, okay, you can have it. And then gave, gave it to him. Um, but when we walk away for a little, uh, we found he's destroying it. So he's stepping on the sign and trying to fold it and, um, you know, uh, put it into pieces. So I walk forward uh, to him uh, and ask him, what are you doing? And he just punched me. So I stopped a little bit. I was shocked because he was nicely asking for the sign first place. And then, so I didn't prepare. And then uh, he ran away. I tried to chase him because I realized it's a crime. So I want to call the police, but I twisted my angle. So I didn't, uh, you know, did much. Uh, but uh, I, I did have contact with with him. But he said, I'm from NYPD, and uh, if you beat me, you will be arrested. And he he ran away. Um, but there were a lot of helpers helping me. Uh, they chased him to the subway station, tried to stop the train, and then took photos of him and sent to me. Um, who, like, who chased them? Other people? Other people, yeah. Uh, afterwards, I called the police, and they didn't leave. And they stayed with me, uh, trying to reassure my daughter. Police officers uh, came. Um, they tried to help me to describe uh, what was going on. Katie, can you tell us how you felt when this stranger punched you in the face? Um. I was shocked. I didn't expect that this will happen to me, even though uh, currently there are, there are tons of news um, describing the Asian hate. Um, but as an adult, it's really yes. too, um, really hard to comprehend how much hate exists. Yes, it's uh, it's what we are protesting against right. for. Mm-hmm. And um, this also happened in front of your young daughter. That must have been terrifying. Right. It's even more threatening for young children like her. She, my daughter's trying to make sense of this event in her young mind and manage the fear he he feels. I asked her um, in the hospital, uh, saying, because she was frightened and um, the nurses reassured her. But I, I asked her if uh, I did it right. He, she said, you are doing right. What you did was right. <laughs> that must have felt good, right, to hear her say that. She's mm-hmm. seven years old. So she's yes. at this age where she's, you know, starting to understand more and probably has a lot of questions. Yes, right. But uh, luckily in, in school, she uh, there is the social study class that learning uh, those um, phenomena, uh, social ph- phenomenon. Uh, actually, that's the reason we why we mm-hmm. going to the protest. They, she was doing the uh, research on discrimination as uh, one of the topic of her social study class. 
I feel like it's a real、uh, life experience for her、um, to to learn like how what is discrimination. So that's the thing、um, the, in in the first place, and she is the she's she's the first to want to go to the protest. I was hated because、uh, I feel it's a little bit risky. So if、yes. Laya wants to go to another rally, or do you think you're going to take her? Well, recently, no, she's still recovering from the、uh, you know the experience. So. But she said she can go to another rally when everything、uh, recovers, and because、uh, this is a, a a way to let our voice, let our ideas,、um, shown to to the public. Yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So maybe next time you can go with a little more protection. You can go bring some bodyguards with you. Sure. Yes. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Katie, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm so sorry about what happened to you, but thank、okay. you for sharing the story with us. Thank you so much. And we thank you for listening to this really important discussion. We thank our production team: Melissa Mack, Darren Price, and Ben Berkowitz. I'm your host, Paisy Cheng, in for David Ushery. And we'll check you next time on the debrief.